we're pushing forward. I'm going to try to front end some of the lecture teaching as, as we go. So, uh, let's see if we can uh, get through quite a bit at the beginning and then uh, slow down from, from that point on. A little bit of a review of what we've looked at before. Uh, there were great changes going on in America, and thus there, that had an effect upon Lutherans. Lutheranism. We still have three groups of Lutherans at the time of the World War. Uh, we still have the East Coast Lutherans. We've got the kind of Midwest Lutherans, and then we have uh, the Synodical Conference Lutherans, or the immigrant, the German, uh, uh, Norwegian, and, and we still have those kind of three groups going into this. We began to look last time at two uh, of the things that caused great changes. One was the 400th anniversary of the 95 Theses was coming up in 1917, but already in 1914 they started to get ready for this great celebration, and so there was all kinds of discussion about the Reformation and how we're going to celebrate it, and the Lutherans are getting together. Maybe they hadn't before, but now they're talking. And they're going together. As we saw, this resulted uh, not only in uh, a lot of good feelings among Lutherans, but particularly when we looked at the East Coast Lutherans uh, as regards uh, to the ULCA, the United Lutheran Church in America. They all come back together. They didn't quite get it done by 1917, but by 1918, uh, they they come together. That's going on. Second thing, uh, we did talk about uh, the Midwest Lutherans that not much was yet going on. Uh, a little bit about liberal theology. The second thing was the declaration of war for World, World War One. We saw not only did that have an effect upon uh, immigrant German communities and Lutherans, and, and whether it was uh, feeling that they were not going to be supportive, uh, whether they were going to side with Germany, whether, you know, all kinds of, um, burning down school, all kinds of things of that sort, the change from English, German to English, uh, these kind of things. This also had a chilling effect on Lutherans, but it also made them work together again, because uh, um, we might have differences, but we're all immigrants, and we're all from this, and, and so that also had uh, a, uh, a pulling together uh, effect uh, with it. The third thing, and I was going to go on to it today, and I decided in the last day or so, the last minute, um, to hold off on because it really relates to what follows after, is the changes that went on in America in the <coughs> 20s, the roaring 20s. Um, we're going to get to that hopefully next time if I, if I get through the uh, material that, that we have. 
All right. Um, the ULCA has already come together in 1918, uh, uh, the Midwest, uh, and then you have Missouri. I did, towards the end, show you a document, uh, which is your pink sheet. Uh, it's a writing of CFW Walther. It actually uh, was delivered in 1866, uh, but it continued to be used during this time frame in which he talks about how doctrine and practice need to go together. Um, if there's going to be ecclesiastical fellowship, there has to be not just partial unity, but complete unity. Um, and uh, not only by on paper, but also <laughs> in practice. And, and we took a look at that with Thesis 23 and things of that sort. All right. Um, moving forward. I did end up at the end of last time uh, speaking about, it was on page 409 and 410 um, of these uh of the Nelson book, in which it talked about, even though the Midwesterners, Ohio, Iowa, Buffalo, were not getting together with the ULCA, right? There were conferences going on about this time, and as the conference went on, I began to explain to you that some of those in the ULCA said, oh yes, we've got a document, and we think we ought to all get together, because you know what? Any of us that claims to be Lutheran, we're not going to question you. You must be Lutheran. And they pretty well allowed anything to go with that. They were ready to... Uh, well, as that went on, um, I think I read... From, uh, from this where it said, here's the way we ought to get together. All Lutherans are already united. We're already together. We just need to get together and we need to stop this to approach others without hostility, without jealousy, suspicion, or pride, in sincere and noble desire to give and receive Christian fellowship. We need to grant cordial recognition to all agreements which are discovered between its own interpretation of the gospel and that which others hold. Yes, you can hold yours, we'll hold ours, we'll all get together, cooperate with other Christians in works of serving love, um, insofar as this can be done without surrender of the interpretation of the gospel, without denial of conviction, without suppression of its testimony as to what it holds to be the truth. So, this is the way the ULCA said, hey, let's all get together on this basis. Iowa, uh, Ohio said, no, we're not doing that, and held them off at arm's length. In fact, during these colloquies and during these conferences, they then put forth their own, this is the way we ought to get together. And as they put down in their theses, it always was... In effect, we're not them. <laughs> I know. I know. We've talked with them before, but you know, we're going. We're, we're not doing secret societies. That's what they're doing. We're not doing open communion. That's what they're doing. We're not doing, you know, a, a, a scripture that's not inerrant. And we're not. They would. That's that's what was going on with 
with the Midwest. Um, page 410 at the very end, it says, Due to this, Lutheranism within the council came to a parting of the ways. <coughs> the ways being ULCA and then the Midwest Senates. At that point, they went, yeah, we're going separate ways. All right. So that's the start. This is where um, I decided to kind of push forward. I just don't think I need to spend that much time with it, but I'm going to put forward. There were all these intersynodical committees uh, to discuss problems. Meeting together three times a year for three days at a time, all were determined to formulate a precise formulation of the various theological issues on which they could all agree. And that's what the Midwest group was doing. Iowa, Ohio, and all of those. The St. Paul Theses from Minnesota in 1916, agreement was reached on election, conversion, the confessions, church fellowship, uh, the doctrine of the church, the ministry, the antichrist, the last things, uh, the days and forms for worship, um, even on open questions. <coughs> you go, wow, okay. Um, you know, unlike the OCA, that pretty well said, yeah, whatever you say, we're, we're, but no, they worked these out. Many of these agreements were pleasing to Missouri, but there was a hesitancy due to the practice that is going on in those Midwestern Senates. Um, so, um, on paper, Missouri goes, well, yeah, all those are really good. I'm, we're really glad. Yes, we see what you're doing. Um, finally, by 1929, the Missouri Convention said that those St. Paul theses were unclear, ambiguous, inadequate. Um, I think, I'm, I'm just... I'm going to say, when you put it down on paper, but you're practicing something that's not quite that, you begin to question, do those words really mean what, what we think they mean? And, and I think that's finally what happened. But leaving that aside, what happens? When Iowa finally separates from the General Council, rejects the United Lutheran Church merger, it was time, and Ohio, the Joint Senate of Ohio, goes into fellowship with Iowa. And so they start to, you start to see some uniting. Uh, the ULCA, as we said, with their Washington Declaration, tried to unite everyone else. Most Lutherans severely criticized it, uh, charged it with unionism as well as the problems with lodge membership. Um, the Norwegians, Ohio, and Iowa, due to that, were finally convinced, yeah, there's no repairing the ULCA and its liberalism. There, we're going to separate from them. The Midwesterners uh, uh, then said, listen, real Lutherans, you know, separate from non-Lutherans. The East Coast, they were, they were having unionistic services with Protestants, things of this sort. Um, the Augustana Senate couldn't quite get in with Norwegians, but they weren't quite sure they wanted to go as far as the East Coast. They, as I said, they keep kind of going back and forth. By the end of 1920, uh, leaders of Ohio, the Norwegians, Iowa, and Augustana finally were agreed, at least unofficially, that they were going to establish closer relations. Um, it took until 1925, it took until some leaders in those churches were changed, and they had a Minneapolis colloquy. They put together something called the Minneapolis Theses, uh, which then goes back and affirms the Chicago Theses, which Stubb put together from Ohio, which was the conservative theses, added up together. They wanted to show, listen, we are not in agreement. We are different from them. 
as they tried to put together their merger, their union, they were surprised to find that the issue of inspiration and the inerrancy of the Bible was an issue. What about that? Uh, um, as I mentioned before, the, the oh, what did I call it at the top of the page? Um, modern theology had gone to higher critical and gone to, you know, whatever. It was one of these. Um, there was a man, Michael J. Roy of, uh, of Iowa, who came to the table and said, listen, um, we don't consider the Bible to be completely infallible just when it talks about salvation issues. So, that's, you know, when it talks about salvation issues and when it talks about Jesus and, and, and uh, you know, in that sense it's infallible. But when it talks about places and times and other things, it's not. Um, nevertheless, you would be surprised at how, I mean, it, it, this guy is really pretty <coughs> conservative. Um, and, and you probably wouldn't, you know, unless he said that, there's you would not have noticed. Okay? Um, that being done, the Joint Merger Commission, as they come together, suggested that they have an inspired and inerrant word of God. This brought up all kinds of things. Finally, Roy's position, however, did not prevail, and Ohio made the demand, listen, if we are going to be united, it will be an inspired and inerrant word of God. Iowa said, okay, and so they got together. And the final constitution said, it's an inspired and inerrant word of God. It What's is the value of getting together? Which <laughs> seems to me it's an urge that they have. And why if they disagree? Because everybody's getting together. <laughs> you don't have someone to get, you know, I'm sorry, you're 26 and all your friends married at 21. Yeah, you. Um... So, that, yes, you got it? That's what's going on. These people are right. Lutherans with feelings are automatically suspect. <laughs> I'm like, joking, but I'm also kind of not. Like. We're a little concerned when Lutherans talk about their feelings. Okay. Um, One of the things is, I think this was about this time as the real rise of Darwinism was happening. Oh, yeah. sure has something to do with what we're talking yeah. about. Right? You are correct. And so that was a way in which you could approve that and still maintain salvation kind of thing. So that happened. Again, it was agreed upon without really any change. It is interesting to note, uh, uh, Michael Roy changed his position later and agreed with inspiration and inerrancy of, of, of the word. Um, it was one of these instances in which um, the liberal position was very scholarly, was very well accepted. He was a professor. He took it in. Later he realized where it was going to go and what had happened. And there are many times in which we don't fully understand what we're... We think it's not a bad... You know, he realized. Um, so, uh, what does this do? It brings all of them together. So now we've got an American Lutheran church that comes together in 1930? Wait. What would that date? Right the Lutheran. Lutheran. Oh. Yeah. 1530 is the Augsburg oh. Confession. Oh. 1930 is the 400th anniversary of 
the odds. I mean, this is once again when it's you know we we're celebrating Lutheranism, and that's what happens with us. Uh, these groups come together. Um, Iowa and other states, the small Senate of uh, Buffalo, uh, the Ohio and other states, um, uh, Texas Senate, which was kind of a district of <coughs> Iowa. Anyway, they all come together August of 1930. But do you remember the, you know, our our friend, the Augustana Senate that didn't quite get invited to our parties, but you know, was like the kid's sister that. Still wanted to hang around with you? Don't worry. The American Lutheran Conference was established in October of 1930, which included... There, Augustana gets back in with the American Lutheran Church, which is all of these, as well as the Norwegian Lutheran Church in America, the Lutheran Free Church, the United Danish Church, um, they come together. Why didn't Augustana get into here? Because Augustana had a uh, heritage of pietism. And the Midwestern said, no, if we're going to have doctrinal fellowship, you know, uh, uh, we don't do it with pietists. And so they were excluded. But by October, due to all these others, they have what's called a conference. Now, they've been doing conferences now because of the war. And we're all talking together. And there are issues in which we can work together, which is not an altar and pulpit. <laughs> but this one ended up dealing with worship and work and witness. And, well, <laughs> the stuff they ended up doing really did revolve. They, they just didn't, should have needed full unity of doctrine. And, well, they just kind of winked and went on. But I'm going to get to next time the great changes that were going on. And because of that, I understand it. But just to kind of let you know. So, is this going to be confusing? Yes. This is the ALC, 1930. This is the ALC, 1930. And in 1960, we're going to have another group called the ALC. Yeah. One's the church, one's the conference, one's the, you know, I don't know, my head's been in the gutter. Um, anyway, this is what comes forward. So now what do we have? Well, um, we've now got uh, the United Lutheran Church in America has come together. And now, not Missouri and these others, but Iowa, Buffalo, Ohio, finally pulled together in 1930 uh, into what we now call the old ALC, this being the new ALC. So that's on the front end. Tony. Just a thought. Could the Russian have anything to play? Um, yes. Um, depression obviously has a big effect, and I'll talk about that with the with the 20s. But it's it's um, in history we can put the we can put the depression in in uh, 1929, and then this is 1930. The, the reality is that all the work that was done for putting this group together was put together between 1925 and... Ni By the time the Depression hits 1929, it's all in place. It, you know, we're just dotting the I's and signing the documents. So it, it really didn't affect this coming together. But, you know, there was. So that's, that's the funny thing about some of these, where you, you like put the dates and you kind of go, well, it doesn't quite line up. Yeah, but they, 
That's just when they formalize. You know, they've been dating for two years. Questions? I showed you last time. Um, let's see if I got. Uh, so we got the joint conferences uh, coming to uh, pulling this together. Okay. That being said, I showed you last time Wather's document on the true visible church, which was your pink sheet. I wish to show you now what, what, what is Missouri saying about the ULCA and about the mergers and the stuff that are going on with the Midwest. Um, what are they saying and why are they saying those things? So, go to your pink sheet. No, not your pink sheet. Go to your blue sheet. Go to your blue sheet, and we're going to see. This is uh, taken from Walter's Law and Gospel. Um, now, again, I, I, Tony, you help me out uh, um, with, the, with the time frame. Um, CFW Walter actually dies in 1887. And you go, wow, this is leading up to 1930. What do you, you know, what do you, what is that? Well, yeah, but um, they publish his Law and Gospel, which are lectures that he gave at the seminary to seminarians while he is still uh, seminary president during the last years of his life. He dies in 1887. Uh, the lectures are 1884 to 1885. They are published in German in 1897. Oh, that's getting us a little closer. Um, they are published again in English, 1929. Okay, so you see that after Walter's passing, we've got uh, Franz Pieper, who is the successor and, and, and all. They're publishing this stuff. They are still holding up the mantle and responding to what's going on. Here is what we have. Walther, uh, he begins all of his lectures. He's got a, a lecture to do, but the big preface part is just kind of his giving you his grandpa wisdom about stuff. Okay, so each one of them kind of starts out with, you know, this happened to me this week, and I, you need to know about this kind of stuff. You know, okay, so this is the way he starts. Nowadays, anyone who insists that pure doctrine is a very important matter is at once suspected of not having a right Christian spirit. The very term pure doctrine has been prescribed and outlawed. Even such modern theologians as wish to be numbered with the confessionalists... Wait a minute. Okay, so one, you know, people are, are accusing Missouri of what? Unloving Christians. You don't have a Christian spirit about you. Why? Because of this pure doctrine thing. Um, yeah, you can't talk that way. And modern theologians, and he says, those that want to be numbered with the confessionalists. You know what he's talking about? Ohio, Iowa, right? 
They're not, they don't want to be with the ULCA. They want to be with the confessionalists. And Missouri is looking at them and going, but, as a rule, even though there should be no more, as a rule, speak of pure doctrine only in derisive terms. Speaking it, treating it as a shibboleth of dead letter theology. Oh, you've got it right on paper, but your life, you don't show it. That's the problem. If anyone goes to the extreme, as it is to be held, of even fighting for the pure doctrine, oppose, if you go around posing every false doctrine, he is set down as a heartless and an unloving fanatic. That's what you're accusing. Uh, of what, may be, what may be the reason? Well, unquestionably, this, that modern theologians know full well that they have not that doctrine, which in all ages has been called and verily is the pure doctrine. They know that they're not doing the same thing that Luther and, and those that followed after it did. Furthermore, they even think that pure doctrine does not exist. It is a non-end, a non-thing, Latin. Except in the dream world, in the realm of ideals, in the Republic of Plato. Well, yeah, theoretically, there can be pure doctrine. But in, but in this real world, you know what they say? There's no perfect church. There's no one that has it. And you can't, it's, it's just, it can't happen. It's just a dream. And so this idea of pure doctrine, we, you know. Uh-oh. To quote Pilate. Yeah. Truth? Uh, That's on the next page. Well, and what they always mean by that is, why try? You should just settle for, you know, being nice to everybody and having the Christian spirit. The time in which we live is that to which the apostle referred when he says of Eris that they are ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Timothy 3 7, the spirit of times is that of Pilate, to whom the Lord had testified. He was a king of truth and a kingdom of truth, and who sneeringly replied, What is truth? John 18, 38. This unhappy man was most likely thinking in his heart that since the greatest minds of thousands of years had vainly tried to find the answer to the question, What is truth? This poor beggar, this contemptible Nazarene Christ, made himself simply ridiculous with his claim that he was the king of truth and would establish a kingdom of incontrovertible and eternal truth. Walter goes on to talk about contempt of pure doctrine is just contempt of the truth. Um, he equates those. Pure doctrine is simply nothing else, absolutely nothing else than the pure word of God. So, you know, if you're putting down the pure doctrine, you're really putting down God's word. Um, what's another excuse? Some people think the doctrine adapt- was adapted to the system of dogmaticians, and it's been accepted by the church. Oh, you know, there was pure doctrine with Luther, you might remember. That was okay. But then came the theologians that systematized it and put it in theological terms, and that messed it all up. That, that's made us all in one. All right, so he goes on. He's going to cite various scripture passages. He's going to speak in this way. You know, this is what uh, Missouri um, uh, is... Uh, is coming up against. And they're coming up against it not only from the ULCA, but from Iowa and, and, and Ohio. So, next thing. 
when he gets done with talking about fling from falsehood, when he's talking about holding to the truth and gets all these, he goes on to say, um, uh, lastly, uh, St. Paul writes to the Galatian congregation after the heiress had found their way into them in chapters 5, 7 to 9. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion comes not of him that calleth you a little leaven, leaven the whole lump. He means to say, a single false teaching vitiates the entire body of the Christian doctrine, even as a little poison dropped into pure water produces a deadly potion. So, he's holding up saying, wait a minute, you know, when you say to us, well, you know, you got, you know, 95 doctrines good, you know, it's just five, it's a pretty small number, it's a little thing, wait, a little leaven can mess up the whole thing. And so he says, let us picture to ourselves as visibly we can the situation that would have been created in the early church when the heiress, Arius, Nestorius, and Pelagius rose up. So, it was just a little error, you know, uh, that, that these theologians came up. You know, one said, well, God's, uh, Jesus is just man. He's not God and man. It's just a little thing. Um, you know, things of that sort. Pelagius says, well, you know, we can do something towards our salvation, you know, but it, I mean, he didn't say we did it all. He just said we did a little. What if men like Athanasius, Cyril, and Augustine had not earnestly opposed them? As far back as in the 4th and 5th century, the church would have lost the primary article of the Christian faith. The foundation would have been removed from beneath it. It would have had to collapse. Um, as he goes on, he talks about, listen, that's why we stand up for these things. Um, yeah, anything that, that is false um, is not to be given up. But, but, and, and that's... And that's a problem. But, but even more than that, it will lead to uh, um, a, a vitiating, a undercutting of, of the entire, because a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. That's why uh, we are warned uh, against that. Um, or, he gives another example. Suppose Luther, after learning the truth, had indeed borne testimony for its immediate associates, but had not entered into conflict with the papacy. Um, what would have happened? Christianity would have to remain under that. It would not have, you know, what if he said, well, it was a little thing, you know, we say you're saved by faith, they say faith and works. Um, there is no question then, but that both, yes, both these efforts are necessary to defend the truth and to oppose every doctrinal error. To qualify you for both tasks is one of my aims of the Friday evening lectures. May God bless you as a blessing on the discussion of this subject that is before us tonight. So, this is, again, being published. This is the kind of thing that is, uh, uh, that they're responding to. Questions? I see an awful lot of this is what has occurred here again yeah. at, you know, Seminex. And the you mean I could change the dates and it might be... Over and over. Yes, yeah. I see that. I would agree. I love this. And it shouldn't, and, it, and it, you know, when I'm saying these things, you ought to go, wait a minute. Yeah. I, I love the drop of poison in pure water because all the other arguments, you know, oh yeah, whatever... Will you drink that water? 
Right. So I am told, you know, many times, you know, listen, pastor, you know, uh, um, you know, there's no true church. There's not no church has it. You know, I go, so your pastor, when he gets up, you don't, well, yeah, I, there's some things he says, he, I, you know, and I go, well, falsehood can't save. And so, let's let's say he's presenting to you, uh, um, you know, food. And he's laying out a food. And you're going through, and what do you do? I pick and choose what I think is right that my preacher says, and, you know, I like this, and he says this, and I don't. And, and I go, well, that's different in the Lutheran church confessions, we say no. We want to make sure that everything he says is right. What if I say to you, listen, I, I don't know, 98 out of 100 doctrines that I preach don't have any poison in them. <laughs> you, you're comfortable now eating at my table? Are you, you know, really, I mean, by and large, we're pretty good. Uh, you know, that's, that's, and that's where I get this. I got it from Luther's Law and Gospel. I think it was Royce said Souls are at stake. Yep. Says what? Souls are at stake. That's why. It is not a matter of pride. It is not a matter of, you know, um, better or something like that. You know, not at all. It's the concern of the truth. But you're often accused of being unloving. and that. So, you're ready for my, uh, my cartoon? <laughs> I thought, Bring it on. I, I, I thought you were. <laughs> so, here's what we have. We've got during this time the United Lutheran Church all coming together, and they're becoming one happy church. In addition to that, they put together their theses, the Washington Declaration, and they tell everyone else, let's unite. Let's all come together. Right? Um, now, at this particular time, uh, again, we have the war effort, we have the celebrations coming up, whatever. They are talking together with this group. Missouri is not, they have their own committee, they have their own thing. They're going, we, we are not, you know, coming together with, with that at all. In fact, even though the ULCA is in, at least initially was inviting Missouri, they finally quit inviting them. Okay, I get it. But when they say let's unite, Iowa, Ohio, and Buffalo, having gotten together and had conference with them, went, whoa, you've got a different doctrine. You know, no, we're not uniting according to that kind of thing. And they say, no, back to the ULCA. And then Iowa, Ohio, and Buffalo turn around to Missouri and go, we would like to get together with you guys. We like what you're saying. And we don't have the same doctrine as them. And Missouri looks at what they have and says, well, we, we, you know, the progress you've made, the things that you're writing down that you have done, you know, you, you, you're, 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 we, we like it. But it's doctrine and practice. And what we see going on is you have a document that says we don't get together, but in practice you're getting together. 
and you have doctrines that say, you know, no, we shouldn't be a part of uh, the lodge, but then you've got members that are part of the lodge, and you've got, um, you have a document that says there's an errant, inspired word of God, but in practice, the preachers aren't holding to that, and so Missouri says, um, not yet. Let, let's let's um, show me in practice. You know, okay, you just came to your conclusion. That's good. Now, you know, uh, um, you you have to respond to that. Missouri's the show me state. <laughs> <laughs> to which almost both groups, to some extent, does the response just as we have with Walter and what he's described, in which they return to them. You're being unloving. Um, you're asking too much. Um, you're fanatic. You're doctoring. I mean, obviously, the more derisive is coming from the ULCA. Um, it is true that there are those in Iowa, Ohio, and Buffalo who are trying very hard. There are good pastors. There are pastors that are trying to bring along. Um, but there are others in there that are not. And it, as we saw before, sometimes it simply involves a change of the synodical president and it goes the other way. Um, and so we are concerned about the official documents. But then we're concerned about are you practicing it? So at this point, just to kind of give you, again, we've got three groups. Um, this one claims Lutheran, and I'm sorry, there's a lot of doctrine practice that's just not, we, we, we kind of get this. This one has the doctrine on paper, but not the practice. And the question is, is will that result in finally a union in doctrine and practice, or will you have it on paper and the practice leads you away? Um, you know, that's, that's the question. There are those who say, no, we're going to do doctrine and practice, and that's where we stand. Um, it has resulted in great numbers coming together here, a little bit here, and this often takes a bit of a struggle. I will talk about the Synodical Conference, because they do come together in some areas, um, and we'll see what happens with that, um, uh, which... which it, it, it's going to fall apart. <laughs> um, and I want to show you how, and this is why I held off on the 1920s, because the 1920s tests these three approaches. How's it going to work out? All right. Um, again, I wanted to kind of front end um, a lot of things. Um, comments, questions? Brian first. <laughs> Where is Wisconsin? Um, Missouri, um, Wisconsin began a little more uh, pietistic than Missouri. Yeah, they just off on their own. Or they well, they were coming together, and by this time, they're standing together in the Synodical Conference with Missouri. They had a little rough start, um, and then they had some good leadership. And I'm going to say Wisconsin is, is lined up over here. ELS, uh, the Little Norwegian Senate, is lined up here. And Missouri, um, it, 
it's not quite that clean because they don't actually get the formation and the name. So I didn't put the names there, but you're right. That's where they are. They're all kind of over here. The ULCA is sort of the, the you know, example of what always happens. You know, people do rotten, nasty things. They always want everybody else to join them in it. And, okay, so I, I won't call what they're doing rotten and nasty, but it's still the same thing. It's an evil, wrong thing, and they probably really know that. So they always want everybody else to do it. And the, the irony is that no matter what happens, everybody always ends up heading that direction. Because you know, Missouri said, okay, they don't, you know, they look at Iowa and Ohio, you know, your doctrine, but your practice isn't. And yet, how long ago was it in Missouri? It's like, you know, their doctrine, but their practice doesn't fit anymore. You know, that's, that's, and that's been going on for a while. So it always ends up like it goes that way. And funny thing is, I guess it has something to do with our rotten, fallen nature. <laughs> <laughs> so the point being, things don't always get better. This is not, we're not progressing to a better, more perfect universe. We always mess it up. And it's always, and you're right. Uh, um, And is that a constant struggle for each and every age? Um, You know, you have to hold to the truth without being prideful. You know, you have to uh, uh, hold to the truth without falling, you know, so yes. And so we see that uh, lining up. That all being said, um, you know, it's, it's not easy. And you might say, well, how, you know, we, I'm giving you the history, but I'm, I'm, I'm also, you know, if I, if I have, you know, let them talk for themselves, and I do sometimes, um, but I almost have to, because it, it doesn't quite, you know, I, uh, my grandfather was a Lutheran, and I was a Lutheran, you know, and the Lutheran spirit is to, you know, love each other and to follow, and you kind of go, Oh, okay, okay. You know, I mean, I, I, it's it, it. You you always couch it, you know, in in the great language that that makes it sound good. You know, you always say, "I'm celebrating the Reformation spirit," while you're departing from the pure word of God. I mean, it's just it, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. And why? We're trying to hold on to the truth. Um, Walter has lined out a. Uh, where he says, here's what happens when you don't. All right, we're going to finish up the history and see. Tony Prohaska? Yeah, I'm getting a little concerned here. I suspect most, like my wife, were Missouri Synod to start with. And what I'm seeing is that the Missouri Synod is being held up as the higher standard of which everybody else is going to be compared to. That has changed. As a Catholic, we never went through any of this nonsense. Yeah, you just rejected every other religion. Well, we were the ones that had the true religion. (laughs) (laughs) And I I will certainly give you that. I was going to ask about that. So, I think that, and and, and maybe this isn't what you're getting at, but, um, you know, when when Missouri, and the Synodical Conference, um, I say that because where we came from, but you know, when they're holding to the truth and they're saying this is the you know the truth, um, yeah, you have to be careful lest you know you you say anyone who's here has the truth, just like you mentioned before. Oh, well, well then the truth equals Missouri, so that um, you know um, when I spoke up one time about. A, a, a problem, and I said that's wrong. They said, "Well, I, I was I was told. Well, no, I was asked. 
well, what's Missouri Senate's position on this? And I thought, well, I just told you what the Bible said, and I went through, but the question had gone no longer to, do I know the word? The question was, I won't know until the true church makes its announcement, you know, and I go, no, no. In fact, that's not the way Paul did it. Um, Paul, they had a little problem during circumcision. As he made his way, he talked the truth all the way till he got to the Jerusalem Council, and then the Jerusalem Council agreed. Yes, you are right. We're saved by faith alone and not by circumcision. Um, and so I was told, well, you've got to be quiet until someone tells you that that's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. You know, I, I, I'm pastor to preach the word. I am not, you know, the servant of this. So, um, yeah, that is. Mary, you had something? Or? Well, just, I was going to ask you about Catholicism didn't seem to have this problem because as I was growing up in a village, spending time in a village where uh, the biggest church was Catholic, but we went to the Lutheran church, is they just plain acted as if nobody else had the word at all. They would not go to weddings at other churches or funerals at other churches. They welcomed everybody to come spend money at their bazaars, and you could go to their services, but they acted as if the rest of us were heathens. And I will agree with Tony that that's one way of handling the problem is this is it. But does that work if you're in a church body that does not have something like a pope? So, um, my initial reaction would be that, um, I'm sorry, the Roman church is a big big tent church. It's huge. And you know whatever theology you have, you can you it's big enough. I know there must be a lot of stuff going on. You know, as as long as you pledge allegiance to the Pope Mm -hmm. and you keep Mary, you're good. But that's not where I'm going to go. I'm going to say, you know, I mean, uh, I have heard the stories, and I know they're true. But the stories are, I was told, you know, Lutheran that I was, that when you were walking downtown. And the Roman church, you walked on the other side. Oh, oh. Really? So, you know, you can point your finger at Rome, Mm -hmm. but there also was, you know, our own. Now, is that appropriate? Is that, you know, I mean, there are concerns for sure. But I don't know that that was, you know, I'm I'm not going to hold up everything. So, yes, I do think what happens is, is that we replaced a head of the church authority with the Senate in convention has spoken. And that became the new one. And so, before, it wasn't doctrine, it was, you know, Oh, let me see. It says, you know, what are the letters? Oh, it's the right letters. Good, we're here. But how did the word get kicked out? <laughs> Why was that Next not? One. Oh, okay. Next one. Um, I, did someone, uh, you did, oh, and then I'll come back. There's a couple of things which you said, and, and explains quite a bit who uh, Walter was and why we had the Walter League and all of those kinds of things in here. And then having the other thing that you pointed out that I noticed uh, once I moved out of the Midwest here and into Iowa, that was a whole different 
accept. I did realize that, but that's what I saw. And, uh, oh, this is a little bit different thinking that's going on over here mm-hmm. rather than in mm-hmm. Illinois. Mm-hmm. And, and I lived a little bit into, uh, let's say, uh, Michigan. It's a little bit different there. But Illinois has a very strong Missouri Synod that followed bingo right down the line. So, when you note that historically and all, the next question you have to ask, and this is difficult, is, so, if, uh, you know, some of the Norwegians wear black gowns instead of white albs, on their pastors. <gasps> Wait, nope, that's okay. Oh, that's not a doctrinal issue, is it? Good. Okay, we're good with it. Well, if, you know, I mean, my point is, is that not every difference, not everything, is a doctrinal issue. And in fact, we're going to get through next time that what happens in the 20s? You know some of the things where you kind of ask me, Pastor, where did that come from? You know what? Uh, you know, uh, um, or you might be completely surprised to think I thought the church always did it this way. No, nope. 1920s, it changed. Um, and and in some ways, it can be problematic. You can change it. Sometimes you change your practice and keep your doctrine. Sometimes, I, I, and so you you know. But at least it lets you kind of know, huh? Uh, there there is something different going on. All right, Eric and then Carr. Uh, part of that, I mean, it comes to a struggle that I have a lot of. Where's, the, where's our balance between saying, oh, yes, I, I have the truth here, and constantly looking and questioning that and comparing with Scripture? Because if you just do, if you're constantly saying, oh, yes, we, we just have the truth, I think that's where that's where you fall into it. Oh, I got you. Yeah. So, I, I get it. So, you know, it's one thing to just say, yes, we have it, now we don't have to check it anymore, right? As opposed to going, well, you know, this, I, I know, when we look Missouri, well, well, Pastor, what are we going to do so this never happens again? Can we write the document that we'll do it? No. Can we? No. They're, they're, what's it going to take? Constant vigilance with the Word of God. That's the only thing we have. And so, you know, you can't have your doctrine without that constantly checking. And the next thing is, guess what? Not only do I err, not only do a group, but a diocese, a senate, whatever, that you probably are going to have to say, mm, that wasn't quite right. We've got to change that. There are groups that never have to say that. <laughs> you, you can just keep going on because if we're the true, the right, then we never have to go back on what we said. You just paper over the top of it and keep going. Karn? Um, just kind of going back to your diagram there. Um, this one? Yeah. False Teaching about false doctrine is just not popular. It's not fun. <laughs> I really actually don't like it. <laughs> I would rather Amen. talk about the mercy of God. That would be just so much more pleasant. And being called unloving and a fanatic 
doesn't feel good. And so I'd rather, you, know, you can see the attractiveness of, let's just be nice. Let's just uh-huh. stop talking about all that bad stuff and just get along. Wouldn't that be so much better? Mm-hmm. And but what's going to happen? You know, Brian and I were talking about, you know, there's just a matter of time when you look at this history before Aldona follows the same path if we are not vigilant. And I don't want that to happen. The truth of God is just too important. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it takes repentance. It takes <coughs> a looking. It takes at that. Lest, uh, lest, I don't like preaching. I'm warning against falsehood. I, I'm, you're right. I don't like it. Um, you probably don't either. Um, we also have to be careful lest I mention, yeah, this is a falsehood. Oh yeah, Pastor, I know somebody else that does that. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can also avoid dealing with our own, questioning our own by always putting it on someone else. Um, you know, I don't, I don't preach against falsehood because I'm trying to get your neighbor who's somewhere else. I'm doing it because it's affecting us. So we can see it. So we can see it. So we don't go there. Um, okay, I had who did I, Pastor and then Rachel and Brian. Well, I think it's interesting because when we go through this, uh, as we go through this study, we've been, we've been talking about the churches. But if you think about society, the society that the churches were living in, you had the 1890s, 1890s to 1900. You had the second or the first World War. Then you have what? The Roaring Twenties. Then we have the Depression. As we're going down, then you're going to see the Second World War come up. And then what do we have? The 60s. <laughs> we're all familiar with the 60s. Now, now well, you're familiar with it. You just don't know it. <laughs> now, the church has to fit into all of these different cultural situations and maintain its orthodoxy at the same time. We live in the world. Yes, that's exactly that's right. What that's what he's saying, and that's difficult. And it's no easier for us than it was for Christ or St. Paul. They had the same fight that we have as Orthodox Christians. What, what, does, this, what does this crazy saying that this nut farm television preacher is coming out with? <laughs> you know, he sounds like he cares so much, but it's just rap music. So Luther, when he described, when he talks about doctrine and practice, he says, doctrine, you can't give an inch. You've got to hold to this. This is from God. This is it. And then Luther gets, and he says, but when we're talking about life, he says, our life always falls short. There's all, I mean, we're always, continue. he goes, you know, in life we can forgive, we can go on. I mean, why? Because doctrine is so important. No, you're granted, we're trying to practice, but that, you know, we're always calling that back. And so holding up this this distinction, you know, with this. And so when Pastor Arun says, listen, you know, you have to understand, 
we still hold to the doctrine. But as the church lives in this world, it's 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 always individually we're having trouble, society-wise we're having trouble. Um, my dad, we were talking the other day, and and I, if I can quote, uh, um, he talked to his mom and he said, "Mom, you you married my you know my dad, you know he, he smoked." Three packs a day, or what? You know, and and he goes, what? you know, that, that's crazy. How come you did it? She goes, well, everybody smoked them. <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, you 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 don't realize what your history is, you know. And then we start talking about it. Karen goes, yeah, every all my aunts and uncles, my parents, everybody smoked. He goes, and then no, none of oh, well, only one couldn't quit. Everyone else stopped. And you go, huh? I mean, so. Things change, and the way things are, you may not even realize. I mean, what, so anyway, we, we do have to be loving. We do have to be understanding. We do, you know, you can look back, and sometimes you have to go back and look at your grandparents or your parents, and you have to go, well, you know, maybe I wouldn't do it that way. But there's, you know, you, I'm a, you may have a reason for why you did that. Um, okay. Um, I had him, Rachel, and Brian. Me? Um, I was thinking of Christ preaching against the scribes and the Pharisees and against their false doctrine. It's so hard to speak about the negative side of things, but you have to teach that to your children so they have antibodies for when something arises that's been forgotten. There's not usually anything new, but I think about Eldona sort of learning about the the universal objective justification controversy and Bishop Heiser saying at the time, you know, he knew it existed but it wasn't really in the forefront of his mind and we go back and figure out, well, they dealt with this back in the 1500s but you learn about all these other doctrines so when this thing resurfaces you already have antibodies to it and it doesn't warm its way in before you realize what it is. Just like Walter's problem with the ministry. If he had looked back at some of the other things, perhaps he would have known how to fight it, but he didn't know where to look. <coughs> Good. Brian? Just that we can never put an equal sign equal sign between Senate and Church. That's probably that's going to be a huge mistake. And I saw Missouri people do that so much when we were going through that with them. They, they Missouri Senate is the church and even went to a conference with you up in Chicago or someplace and one of the kind of fathers of the Missouri Senate that everybody looked up to got up in front of everybody and says, you don't leave the church. What kind of doctrine is it to leave the true church? The true church is where the words rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered. It's not a sin. And if you're lazy, which most of us are, and we don't like doctrinal fights, we'll just take the position of the Senate and hold it up to be right. That's, that's always wrong. You have to be very careful. Good point. Good point. Um, I like Tony, and I'm going to wrap up. I'm out of time. Yeah, we're talking doctrine and practice. And it just occurred to me that the majority of the people in the pews can understand practice. Doctrine is a lot harder. When I was an elder, there were two ladies up there and asked me, we used to have the American flag and the Lutheran flag up on the altar. All of a sudden, it's gone. And they could understand that right now. I didn't have the answer. It was just, well, we took them down. <laughs> but that's practice. Yeah, it's a lot easier to see, isn't it? It is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us your word, and we ask that we might keep it. 
Um, for that, we need your continual guidance, your gumption, uh, uh, so that we might be diligent in, in holding to it as well as fleeing from error. Uh, we ask your, your, your help. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.